Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded at the PW offices in New York City, I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the Graphic Novels Review Editor for Publishers Weekly, as well as the Editor-in-Chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. You can find us on Twitter at at PWComicsWorld. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at PWComicsWorld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on iTunes. And on Facebook, we're at Facebook.com slash PWComicsWorld. All right, this week on more to come. Uh... Graphic novel sales up uh, in the book trade. We'll talk about it some more. Uh, Scrib, the ebook sub- subscription service, is getting out of the comics business. Uh, Marvel and its download codes. DC and Jeff Johns are looking at Watchmen again. Um, conventions and volunteers. Uh, so, graphic novel sales in the book trade up. 12% according to the Nielsen book scan. That's right. So, so this is the second year in a row, right? Yeah, Calvin? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what the um, direct market is doing, uh, but really book format comics, uh, uh, comics as we've been talking about really all year. Uh, we're in a we're in a growth mode. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, now last year they were up 22%, so it's not quite up to those standards. Uh, but I think what's really amazing about this 12% growth in bookstores is that it was the only category yeah, in adult a, a fiction that showed growth. Uh, everything else was flat or down. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, and one uh, one thing that was singled out in our report on it. So, um, well, as, as, I think as we were emailing around afterwards, we win. Yeah, we did. We win. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, and this also comes despite, um, despite, um, you know, bookstore. I mean, B and Ed had a terrible fourth quarter. Their holidays are terrible. I mean, mm-hmm. there's so mu- there's a lot of uncertainty in the uh, in the direct there in is. the bookstore oh, channel. Although one of the things, um, uh, you know, as digital uh, has been it actually continues to decline, um, you know, print sales are up overall two to three percent. Um, uh, sales through uh, physical bookstores, particularly independent bookstores. I think they're going to finish up about 5%. So it's been a year where print is kind of reestablishing itself uh, for a lot of reasons. Some people credit the digital fatigue. Right. Uh, you know, we, we spend all day looking at screens when we get home. We're not looking for well, another screen. Well, that's certainly part of the adult coloring that's, book that, fad. Absolutely. I mean, literally, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a physiological oh. thing. Um, um, you know, oh, uh, actually. Kate, I'm sorry. Linked to this, uh, we have a story that's the thing going on at Marvel that I think uh, dovetails with this very well. So we'll we'll talk yes on that subject soon. Later. Well, yes, and 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 I can exclusively reveal because I, I was I sent this uh, story and it's embargoed uh, until tomorrow. But by the time you listen to this, it'll be past embargo. So uh, Diamond uh, it will be releasing their year end figures, I believe, yeah. on Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't have all the list of what's the bestseller, and uh, but I do have the year over year. Uh, and they are not as sanguine as the bookstore channel. For Diamond Comics, uh, are are down eleven percent. These periodical comics are down point. Pardon, not eleven percent. Down point eleven percent. So that's basically flat. flat. Yeah. Uh, in units, they are up one percent. So mm. basically flat. Yeah. Graphic novels are up one point two four percent. Basically flat. Okay. In units, up two point ten percent. So a little better than flat, but mm. not really. Mm. And and the total. Uh, in dollars, comics and graphic novels are up 0.3%, so flat. 
uh, in units up 1.10%. Mm. So but, pretty much flat in the direct market. But that is what sold through Diamond. Now, we have covered on this program a number of times that a lot of comic shops are turning to the book distributors yes, for their correct. graphic novels. That is so, correct. This is true. Good point. Mm-hmm. That is right. So does this really speak to about the market, or does this, the graphic novel part, does it yeah. speak about well, And you made a good point, because Diamond is sell-in, it's not sell-through. Right. It's sell-in yeah, to the right. retailer. Uh, Whereas BookScan is sell-through. BookScan is Now, BookScan does not, in, does not include um, any, like, Bowker or being Baker & Taylor or anything like that, yeah. right? It doesn't include uh, any, like... Well, it can... Yeah. It can it, 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 it's about eighty percent of the book trade. It does right. not include libraries. Right. Uh, it, it doesn't include. It doesn't include most, comic shops either. It doesn't include comic shops. Right. Uh, there are some independent stores, though not all. Um, so it's about the number goes up. Right now, I know we we say about eighty percent of right. the but book if, trade. But basically, we don't know. Yeah, we don't uh, know. But right. if a comic shop was ordering graphic novels through Random House or through uh, Baker and Taylor, it would not come through. That's the a good question. Numbers. I can't answer that. Oh wow! Calvin. I don't know. I Maybe do we think should talk it's to a good scan. chance that if they're if they're if they're distributing through Random House Publisher Services, I would assume it probably does show up on Nielsen. But only. But but does it show up as a? Well, it shows as what? As, as a, a. But I thought. But but does it? It's, yeah, uh, because I thought BookScan was consumer sales. It is, but I mean that's who I, I'm, that's I'm how saying. There in. may be a right. connection through there if they if they're using um, uh, Random House Publisher Services. But you're right; it's they a can... measure of consumer sales without a doubt. Right. Okay. Well, we should it, re- we should investigate this. Yeah, more. yeah, and, yeah. and, and it's really just a question it. of me not yeah. knowing. It would be very easy to find. Yes. Right. Yes, but yes, it yes. may well be that BookScan is getting their data about the customer sales from. Like some comic shops do report to yeah, there, I think there are some, do. but they're, they're, they're but very not, small. Yeah, but back when we actually had a list, that was one of the reasons that it was. In some ways, it was useful that there was a separation because I could create a weighted list mm-hmm. uh, because they were actually almost two separate universes. But I think now there are some comic shops that do, probably bigger ones right. that may actually report right that's to. correct well yeah. definitely something to see if we can uh, use our sources and find out some more information yeah. so um you know i'm sure we'll have more to, to talk about when the uh you know brian hibbs every year does a oh yeah mm-hmm. uh you know it's it's not supposed to be released but we release it and actually it'll be on the beat this year so <laughs> just fyi so brian is actually hard at work on uh getting these book scan numbers so we will see what that is uh, around hopefully. when do we usually see it uh you know it varies usually um uh, february Okay. Usually we see it in February. So we'll keep an eye out around yes. that. And then uh, also, like I said, we should be getting Diamond's list uh, probably at the end of the week or early next week. So we'll and, have more uh, to say, more to come yeah, about. Yeah, and I should also just very quickly say we are, you know, we took a break this year, but we are returning to our comics retailing story in Publishers Weekly this year. And it'll be running in mid-February, a mid-February issue. And Shannon O'Leary is doing it for us. So, well, it uh, should be very interesting yeah, so to it, read about. It'll look at the so. holiday season and it'll look forward into where... You know, exactly. where the retailers see the year going. Exactly. More um, to come. But, yes, more to come. But going back to what Calvin was just talking about and digital fatigue, we've lost yeah. a player. Sort of. Yeah. Uh, well, script has dropped. Oh, script. I'm sorry. <laughs> you wrote the story. I was, like, you I was wrote thinking to say, who passed away? No, no, no. <laughs> in no, some no. ways, it was script. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. script is still out. rest in peace. Script, script is, is still there. but Script is still out there, but they are not doing graphic novels anymore. Yes, yeah. They are. Uh, they apparently quietly ended um, uh, their uh, subscription access service to comics and graphic novels. After launching the service, which with much fanfare in uh, early 2015, uh, I think a couple of months after that, I think you did the story, Heidi. 
um, they gave us an interview and they were just beside themselves. They were glowing. With they how said nothing. Explosive. Nothing had been so explosive. An explosive ever. launch. N- never had anything adopted so quickly by so many people. Uh, all kinds of data they gave to us on it. And you can go to the website and look at the article yourself. Uh, but less than two years later, uh, they have shut it down. They issued a statement um, that their fans simply were not very active in, you know, it's a big turnaround. Right. From the beginning. Yes, it unexploded. What's the opposite of uh, explosion? Implosion. <laughs> yeah, I guess it was. But I, I think it's more like just nobody yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I don't know how often they were uh, updating their content. I mean, that's the other thing I wonder. Were they adding material to it? We don't really know. Uh, I know the figure of 10,000 comics seem to be static, where that's never the case with them. They're right. always adding content but, to every category. But hasn't um, – well, there's two things about it. Number one is that this apparently happened in December. Nobody yeah. noticed until now. So that tells you yeah. everything you need to know right there. Um, but number two, uh, but Scribd has had quite a few changes in their business model yeah, over the years, and it's kind of part of the whole ebook fatigue, isn't it? Well, I think probably that's that's a part of it. Once again, they, these are digital reads. I mean, if you're looking at it, uh, they've changed their model. I think now you get like three books, you know, a month or something of that nature. Yeah, that's not enough to attract comic fans. Yeah, exactly. A comic fan who's there for the comics is not going to go join a service right. for three comics a month, and then you have to sort Ain't of pay extra to get more than that. Not uh, going to do it. That's why. Romance right readers almost crashed the service. Yeah. So they had to change and, and pretty much drop the romance category. So, you know, the, it's a, you it's know, it's not designed it's a, well for pl- the addictive reader. Yeah. Well, the, it, it, even though, in fact, that's what it was originally pitched as, you know, yes. hey. But, you know, they're they're struggling with the business model. Yeah. Well, but I mean, I heard that the amount of money that they made off of each book that the people read is so low that, you know, it's basically the model wasn't even sustaining for them. Yeah. So Yeah. I mean, well, quite frankly, they're not the – given that they haven't gone out of business, I mean, that's a plus. Like, merely cutting a couple categories is nothing compared to what's happened to similar services Well, out there. I'm guessing – I mean, it just seems to me that they would – Drop them if the contracts ended and didn't want to renew them. Yeah, I mean, that, I'm sure you know, that, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I'm not, that makes most yeah. sense. But I mean, I, I mean, it's interesting with Scribd because the fact is, of all of the subscription services that were out there, uh, and they're kind of almost the last one standing. Yeah. I mean, they one of their advantages is that they they had a legacy business that drew millions of people to the site all along to get documents. So yeah, they you had the lowest, your own thing. Yeah, they had the lowest cost for getting new customers of any service because millions of people go to script every day for one thing or another to get free stuff yeah and so the idea was i think this is what i always noticed happening you go to script to get your free thing you think oh is this thing i also want on script free and then you search it and oh it's there on script but it's not free but if you join script you can see it exactly that's what they want you to do absolutely um but yeah i think i think maybe this business model needs to be thought out a little better, especially because one thing I noticed over the last year or so are a lot of people noticing that they can get their ebooks from their libraries because libraries Very have been pushing true. it. I mean, Very true. I myself have checked out lots of ebooks from my library and certainly more than three graphic novels in a month and know, at also, no price. Uh, a library service like Hoopla has been adding new content on a regular basis, including they're the only subscription service and and they don't like me to call them a subscription service because they're they're not the exact same model as com- as uh, script that we're talking about 
they're paid for, uh, your access is paid for through your taxes and your public library. If you're in a public library that they do business with, your you library, get books, you get yeah. free access. Yeah. Right. And they have DC yeah. comics. Right. As but well. even if you don't have Hoopla, which you don't in New York, yeah, you by the yeah, way. You don't need Hoopla. You're right. Go. Um, a lot of libraries have their Absolutely. own ebook mm-hmm. collections yeah, that absolutely. they give to you through their own apps or through Overdrive Reader or whatever. Absolutely. And librarians have been gotten savvy about buying graphic novels, and you don't have to pay for it. Right, and, that's right. You know, and you can check out way more than three a month. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, we've been talking about uh, we're probably going to do like a standalone show that's kind of looking at digital at some point. I mean, there's yeah, certainly you know really kind of should. the state of dis- digital because there's been so many evolutions and this scr- the script. Story and it's still growing. Certainly is a perfect example of that. Well, I wouldn't say it's growing. It's actually no. kind of plateaued. It's changing. And, and, and it's at one changing. point, actually, I was really surprised. The newest subscription service on the block, Comic Blitz, has outlived Scribd, which had way has way more funding and had way more uh, titles to offer. So it's interesting. Uh, shout out to uh, yeah. Jordan Jordan Plosky. Although didn't Comic they Blitz. just go live like in October? <laughs> they went live in in October of 2015. Okay, so they've been around a year. Yeah, All right. Well, year. then and you know what? They lasted a year. So. And, they've, and they're adding content. They yes. have added content. You know, I think it helps that it's not a sideline. Right. Comic Blitz yeah. is comics. And yeah. who if else? they drop comics, they're out of business. But, uh, yeah, Whereas for Scribd, it was a sideline. Who else is out there? I mean, Iverse is pretty much dead in the water. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah the other is comics is Comicsology on Unlimited. You know, Marvel Unlimited. Maybe the others, Archie Unlimited. Those mm-hmm. are really the subscription yeah. services. Well, it there. certainly has evolved and changed. So yeah. uh, there's definitely more to come. But you know, even if there is such a thing as digital fatigue, among some readers. They are not fatigued with digital. And Marvel learned that this week (laughs) in a very vocal way. You know, Marvel, people just, whatever Marvel does, people don't like it. You know, even if it's like giving, you know. Well, it's not just Marvel. DC and Marvel are big old targets. Yes. And also have some executives who are not great at making nice with fans. That's very true. But this decision by Marvel was actually very interesting. Um, and if either of you have more details on this, I, I, this is not a story that I was particularly uh, well-versed in the details. So if I get any of them wrong, please correct me. I can. All right. Uh, well, Kate, then why don't you go ahead and, and explain what it? happened? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, Heidi, you have on your blog a piece going into the ramifications a little more, yes. which maybe you can Which I did in. not write. Todd well, Allen. Well, no, but many, I imagine yes. you're familiar with it. Yes. Well, yes. But with Todd, sometimes it's hard to... No. Todd, anyway. We love Todd, you, Todd. Yes, Todd, we adore you. <laughs> and your, your writing is so uh, in-depth that sometimes it's not too in-depth for us. But anyway, Kate, go on and I yeah. will look up the story as we speak and I will... Um... Okay. So, Marvel has announced that they are changing... They're bundled in digital initiative. That is to say, uh, when you buy a three ninety nine Marvel comic, you typically get, previously, a digital copy of that same exact comic. The idea being that you can enjoy it on your devices and you can enjoy the paper version. Now Marvel has announced they are not doing that anymore. Instead, every week, all the comics that came out that week are getting the same mm-hmm. digital comic and it's a different digital comic it's something from their backlist yeah, yeah like civil war number one right for which seems to be uh, one of the ones that... jumping on point yeah yeah um we don't know what future ones will be but this one that time they had uh, civil war number one and they had old man logan number one right and they had something else less memorable um and the thing is that at least for this first jumping off one 
these are comics that are really well known and everybody probably has already read them. Yeah. <laughs> um, and furthermore, like people were expecting copies of the comic they had because that was the comic they were interested well, in. Well, and yeah. also, um, you know, Marvel may have thought this was just a little stupid add-on that they ju- uh, threw in there. <clears throat> because DC did the same thing. Yeah, they also. Did do it. Mm-hmm. DC also did it, but nobody did nobody downloaded it. So yeah. that program ended very quickly. Um however, uh there was a thriving uh gray market for yeah, these codes. Secondary market there was is, a in secondary market for the codes. It. And Marvel was fine with that, you know. I mean once you bought the comic, this code was yours to, to do with right, as yeah. you please. I'm wondering. Is that the outcry? Are we hearing the outcry from basically people who were invested well, we, in this we, secondary I, I market? No, I don't think so. Because I, I, I'm dubious of the uh, redemption okay, I percentage. Can, I can explain. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are a specific subset of readers it's turning out. Most people probably didn't redeem it. But a good chunk of them hmm. uh, were people who wanted to support their local comic book store, but who preferred digital. Sure. So they thought, I'll buy my paper copy from my local comic book store, and then I'll also have a digital copy. So these were hardcore digital people but who wanted to support their... And also, a lot of people bought the physical copy and then bagged and boarded it and put it away. Absolutely. Yes. Read it. So the, hard, the hardcore collectors <laughs> didn't want to get it messy. OCD. <laughs> yes. Original comics demanders. Yes, our yes. peeps, frankly. <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, yeah. part of our community. Yeah. 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 So, so, but they're, so yeah. they're mad. Yes, they yeah. are mad, and there's been a lot of outcry about it. Now, Todd has a eh. really, uh, you know, this is my site, Comic Speed. I am going to plug it, though, because Todd wrote a really, really excellent piece about it. It was quite good. It. And uh, one of the things that he kind of was saying, and if you look at Mar, you know, another thing, we don't even have this on our story list. So much has happened, as we predicted. Uh, <laughs> you know, Marvel did this other thing where they did a 10% overship of all their books in January. So, like, basically, if a retail, a rounded up. So, if you, retailer, ordered one copy of a graphic novel, you got two copies, you know? Mm-hmm. If you ordered... Um, 10 copies, you got one extra copy. So anything be- 10 or below, you got an extra copy of the book. Um, so Marvel's doing just a lot of things that are just... Uh, Todd had a theory about how this digital thing would raise revenues because they would... Uh, they make more money off digital comics. I, I, you have to read the article. Well, Todd, it, it well, is... Well, it's, it's, yeah, I, I can, I can yeah. explain. <laughs> okay. I can explain. So Todd was saying that... Uh, Marvel makes more per comic on a digital comic. Yes, that yeah. is true. Because right. it doesn't true. have to go through Diamond, yes. and they don't have to print the book. Yes, yes. and it, and they're full price. And they're full price, but they even so. Okay. And that um, both because of the gray market and because of the people who weren't sure if they wanted digital or paper, so we're getting both through this initiative. So that, so, oh, the, I see. So now he basically, it, yes. so the people, mm-hmm. they're, he thinks that they're not Marvel is trying to nudge people in the direction of buying digital. Mm-hmm. So basically, they were trying to increase their digital sales by doing away with these free digital copies. So yes, yeah. it wasn't yeah, yeah. And then by doing these jumping on points uh, giveaways, then you know, oh, maybe more people will read Old Man Logan, a bestseller that is the basis of a major motion picture coming mm-hmm. out in a few months. So um, you know, it makes it makes sense. The ten percent overship, even though it seems like they're giving people uh, money for nothing. Also was scrutinized in terms of uh, this is a became a multi uh, very controversial uh, in that the diamond figures I was just talking about does not count this overship in their dollars, but they do count it in units. So this would give Marvel a boost in the units and make it look like they were 
um, selling more comics in their monthly charts yeah, as well. Yeah, it's inflating their numbers. So there's a lot going on at Marvel right now. We don't know what it is. I'll be honest. There's, uh, you know, this is like uh, Russian uh, influence with <laughs> yeah, Comrade Trump. There we go again. We don't, well, uh, but I mean, seriously. It is I mean, literally, I, literally we have used on this very show the phrase Kremlinology yes. to describe <laughs> trying to figure out what's going on inside the offices of a company. Yes, publisher. we are. And I, I mean, I'd be curious to know. I personally, and I'm just guessing because I have no clue, uh, that this is an experiment by Marvel yeah. to try something different. Uh, I can't believe it. Seems to me they're frustrating the fans by doing it this way. I never redeemed the coast that much, but I really thought it was a nice gesture. I have to often do like to have the digital copy. Yeah, and uh, this is books. Uh, this is a very common sales tactic. Yeah. I mean, a lot yeah. of places like when you buy a DVD yeah. for, or a CD, or but, um, yeah, DVDs. Yeah, a lot of them oh, give CDs you CDs as well. CDs. Give if you, you buy a CD very from Amazon.com, you will almost always get a free digital copy of that same CD mm-hmm. just right. by virtue of having bought the CD. So I, I, I just I, I just think that this is an experiment and it I I can't imagine why they wouldn't at some point reinstate the policy, but maybe I'm completely wrong. I'm always a little dubious of whether, you know, publishers are trying to I mean, digital sales for of comics, I'm like they can't be more than ten, fifteen percent of total sales. Right. I really I, I mean, I find it very dubious that publishers are are trying to do anything to hurt print sales because print sales any kind of hurting of print sales is going to hurt retailers. I don't yes. think they're trying to hurt print sales. I think they are trying specifically to knock the on-the-fence, possibly digital readers off the fence and pay them instead of full price for the digital instead of of getting the other. They're, yeah. It's not It's not yeah. about hurting the bookstores. It's about helping their other bottom line. That's, I think that's very plausible. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we yeah. don't have and them. And it's an experiment. Sure. We don't have them on our, our story list. And, and, you know, maybe not for a huge discussion. But, I mean, there was another other things going on this week. Like Ross Ritchie of Boom Studios had this whole boost oh. your lo- local comic shop yeah, idea right. where he urged, kind of tried to create this grassroots, um, you know, social media movement to make people or suggest people go to their comic shop and buy a graphic novel just to kind of shore things up uh there was a lot of pushback on that uh there was also just yesterday a comic shop was pointing out that customers not picking up their pull lists every month is actually a huge money drain on a lot of comic shops so you know a lot of this is being scrutinized right now there's a lot of pieces in play yeah yeah well i mean um so who's watching the watchman Who's watching The Watchmen? Uh, Apparently nobody. Jeff Johns. <laughs> yeah. No, well, uh, essentially what we're hearing is that uh, Jeff Johns is looking to write Well, he tweeted it. He tweeted it. He said, he just tweeted it. He said, I'm looking uh, forward to, to putting writing some new comics in, in 2017. And he put a picture of Dr. Manhattan. Uh, yes. so, so that's pretty clear. And I guess specifically stories about Dr. Manhattan. Well, we, you know, we don't know. Listen, but we it's don't a tease. Know. Well, yeah. actually, yes, we actually we, it's kind of less of a tease than you might think. Mm-hmm. At the end of the Rebirth special, yes. it was revealed. Oh, of course, yes. Yeah. It was yeah, revealed that the quote-unquote yes. culprit behind New 52 yes. was Dr. Manhattan. A.K.A. Yeah. Dan DiDio. <laughs> yes. One might take that as the metaphor. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, this put the doctor Manhattan on the periphery of this entire story. So it kind of suggested that there might be some 
revisiting of this reveal. Yeah. And here it comes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, uh, Kate, you and I mentioned, uh, you know, in our private, I think we talked about this last time in our private sit down with Jeff, um, you know, he made it clear that this was a storyline they would eventually be revisiting. Right. But you didn't even need a private talk with Jeff Johns yes, to see exactly. that if you mentioned Dr. Manhattan on, as the, your plot driving character, at the end of your big special that Dr. Manhattan would probably return at some yeah. point. Well, yes yes or no, but I mean, he definitely is returning. He is so. returning. Right. So. And this is always a controversial aspect yes. of yes, the DCU. Very... Uh, any kind of derivative stories based on Watchmen, uh, yeah. uh, obviously that's going to draw the attention of Alan Moore. Or uh, just, or you know what, and it's going to draw the attention of people who talk to Alan Moore. Yes. And fan, but I'd say fans in general. Alan doesn't. Yeah care it's yeah. only when people talk to him about it that he puts on his grumpy bear yeah. <laughs> suit and goes on a rampage <laughs> but i mean and, nobody talks to him about it well that's, that's true it's yeah. what he you don't bring it up he's perfectly happy but I, I do think the fans that i see out there they're responding on his behalf yes i mean many fans yes, are saying how to. dare you do yes. this when when the author uh has expressly said he doesn't want you to do yeah it. i mean i think one as we did in our very coverage of this. It's kind of in bad taste. Yes. But two, I think a lot of people, I, I personally am not among them because I think the work stands alone, but I can understand why a lot of people feel it cheapens Watchmen. It turns it from a standalone epic to just one other easily exploited character well, from the I, DCU. I, I forget whether it was Stephen King or Neil Gaiman or who exactly said this, but they did say, like, if you think that this movie is ruining my book, uh, if you look on the shelf, you'll see my book is sitting there untouched. I mean, I think it cheapens DC. I don't think it cheapens Watchmen. No, I don't no, think no. it cheapens Watchmen, but I, they I think... I think some people feel it yeah, is. That's, yes, yeah, that's but the I'm, feeling. But they and, do. But I'm saying it, it doesn't it actually. Doesn't, yeah, so yeah, it I think that's it. a yeah. the fans are, you know, but right, but our fan, our people, they're they're passionate about this stuff. They you are, know? and I can see it as seeing it as as an insult to Alan Moore. Yes, I think yeah. a lot of well, people see it as an insult them, to him and, many of them and an insult that, to the books. And many of them said as much in 2012. They published seven series, all based on The Watchmen. Most of them not very good. You know, well, different people had different views on yeah, that. Yeah, but you know what? Uh, they, I read a number of them, and actually, yeah, I thought some of them were very some good. Of them were, but you know some what? Of them were. They were also released in the deluxe hardcover editions. Chip Kidd did the, the covers. Yeah, the, yeah, some of DC's best artists and writers worked on every one of them. Yes, and you know what? Nobody gave a crap. You know what? Nobody talks. Nobody yeah. talks about those books in any no. positivity. And are they backless per perennials? Uh uh-uh, uh, not at all. No. They're not. No, no. I, I mean, if you look, no. at, you've looked, look up the numbers and yeah, see they, how they, they did. Yeah, no, they've they disappeared. Did okay, but they disappeared. Yeah. They disappeared. I think they were expecting it to be a sales bonanza, and it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. The periodical comics sold pretty good, didn't they? Well, I mean, they, they sold okay, saying, but they weren't a sales yeah. bonanza. Yes, yeah. but I'm, I'm just saying it did not become a backlist staple. No, it didn't. No, not at all. Not, not at all. like The Killing Joke by Alan Moore. No, you know, or, I not, a, or every other Alan yeah, Moore book. Yeah, every other Alan Moore book. You know, it's like I wrote a big, long thing about this a, a couple years ago when they first announced before Watchmen. And it's like if you look at the sales that the books that Alan Moore wrote for DC at, to this day, I mean, I would yeah. say, you know, even top 10. You know, they sure. bring back top 10 from time to time. Uh, and it does well. But The Killing Joke uh, is probably DC's biggest selling book of the year, if not the biggest graphic novel. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm eager to see the book scan numbers. Uh, Watchmen sells every single week. Everything Alan Moore does sells and sells yeah. and sells and sells. So yeah. if you kept him happy, just think of all the money you would have made well, as opposed to putting out these cash grab stupid books. Yeah. I mean, 
uh, well, frankly, I think Alan Moore had gotten out of the habit of giving any new books to DC. I think that's why they finally did the cash grab, is they realized they weren't going to be getting new stuff from Alan Moore, so they might as well just be jerks. Um, but that's kind of a jerk move and repellent to future creators. But, you know, as I, as I, again, there's a big timeline. There's an article on my site where I, I investigated all of the timeline of it and uh, for the... Uh, let's see. I want to get the number right. I believe it was the fifteenth anniversary of Watchmen. They were going to. They had made friends with Alan and Dave Gibbons. They even had planned that they were going to do a new edition of Watchmen with new back matter by them. There was a video in the DC booth that played of Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons talking oh. about Watchmen. There had been a rapprochement, and then uh, they promised they weren't going to meddle at all. And then came this cobweb story that was in Tomorrow's Stories that they couldn't run because of the Scientologists and then this other thing with the Marvel douche. And then they just kept poking Alan. And at that point, he was like, screw you guys, I'm going home. Yeah. And I saw... Oh, yes. oh I oh. did not hear about no, that. No, no, and a lot of people because... I remember this happened, vaguely you talking yes, about this, this years ago. Yes, this happened in 2000. Yeah. This happened in the year 2000, so 17 years ago. Um, and uh, it, that's a little bit of a dark period for the internet. You know, things that were written then aren't necessarily uh, on people's, you know, radar. Yeah. So anyway. Well, but, and it was 17 years ago. Yes, and it was 17 years ago. So, but yeah, I, I so, so there's a very long, complicated history that actually almost had a happy ending. But that said, Alan Moore is a very cranky person, and I'm sure something else would have happened. <laughs> yes, but go. it might have happened after he wrote something more yes. that made the money. Exactly. All right. Well, oh, there Scientology. You, go. you have so, one more, more thing to answer. Yes. More to come more on to come. that. More to come. All right. All right. Well, let's get back to our favorite point of conversation: conventions. Conventions. And not just conventions, but volunteering at conventions. Generally speaking, a big part of the convention <laughs> infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, certainly, even at among some of the, the conventions ones. that make an awful lot of money. Yeah. So, but you know, we got some news this week that you know uh, that old structure may be about to get swept away well, in certain instances. Well, here's the thing. Uh, yes, it was revealed this week that the Phoenix Comic Con, which might be the fifth or sixth biggest Comic Con in the in North America, as so many are, uh, was uh, going to... They have a thousand volunteers to run the show and that you would have to pay $20 in order to avoid uh, join this thing called the Blue Ribbon Army in order to uh, ap apply to be a volunteer. So basically you had to pay $20 to volunteer. Now, I didn't see it because it was yeah, not a... A nonprofit organization. <coughs> yes. The mm -hmm. Blue Ribbon Army is a nonprofit mm -hmm. social club. So, uh, yes. Yes. <coughs> but... But... Now, I didn't see this post because it was in a private Facebook group, but apparently some person was saying they're in a wheelchair and they're so poor that they're going to have to go collect cans by the roadside in order to get this $20, which sounds uh, exaggerated, but you know what? Arizona is a very, very low-income state, so mm -hmm. a lot of people don't have even $20 discretionary income. So while I was investigating this story, it turned out that DragonCon also requires people to pay $20 to join some kind of a mm -hmm. volunteer. Some now, but it, so there was a heat there, and there was an outcry, mm -hmm. and there came an outcry. Uh, however, I think we even talked about it in the podcast. You might recall that last year there was a lawsuit raised against the Emerald City Comic Con for not paying volunteers. So apparently this, oh, join this social club. And then uh, as a club member, 
you're eligible to go volunteer work, for this work show. For free for, this, for a for-profit for profit show. Yes. Well, yeah. um, the Beat's own Jeff Trexler, the Beat again. Very we're on, good article, we're on a roll. Too, by the yes. way. Well, Jeff is like the gold standard of <laughs> comics and article. legal issues. Um, so he, so then uh, the fellow who runs um, Phoenix Comic Con, Matt Solberg, uh, wrote a memo to his staff uh, after the outcry. That was like the longest memo I've ever read. And uh, he explained that, yes, they were doing this because of the Emerald City lawsuit, and that, which is like, oh, yeah, if you join this, this uh, social club, it's a way to get around the employment laws, so labor laws. So, um, yeah, and, and you don't want to pay you, what, so you have to pay us. Yes. We should state clearly what the legal principle is yes. here, is that, that for-profit organizations cannot have hundreds and hundreds of, of volunteers working for them who are not being paid. Right. That's the basic law right. that we're talking about. And it here. also, you know, it, 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 like it, it specifically is uh, can't be exempted for seasonal workers, which which you might say convention volunteers are because, you know, that is specifically called out that no, it can't be an exemption for that because of things like carnivals and farms and stuff like that. So, you know, these are the laws of the land. And um yeah, and uh, to now be the frank, biggest, the biggest shows we're talking about, San Diego Comic Con, is a is a not for profit organization. Right. So it can have and does have yes, right, and thousands I, of volunteers. I mean, and let's be fair here, it's a little skeevy to be running a for profit organization, not a not for profit, a for profit, and um, not paying your workers. I mean, this is a labor law for a reason, absolutely. It, and so frequently, conventions sing this sad song and conflate themselves with a not-for-profit con, saying, oh, your favorite tiny not-for-profit con will crash and burn due to no volunteers. And it's like, well, they're safe. It's yes. you guys who are going for profit and don't want to pay people that can't pull this now, I, that Yes. and But now that said, the you know Phoenix Comic Con guy pointed out in his very long memo that they used 1,400 volunteers. And if they were to bring them all on as employees, that would be a lot of money. And that they might not be able to put on the convention if they had. Now, first off, that's an awful lot of volunteers. Good Lord. I mean, I know they I have agree. like 80,000 or no, 100,000 people there. So, you know, mm. I mean, one volunteer per, per well, 100. Yeah, or, and, that, that, that does seem like. And they're not like, all there every day. No, that's See, true. The thing it's a four-day like, show. It's a yes. four-day show. Probably a lot of them only sign up for like one day. So even if you divide that by four, well, that's still a lot of people. Yeah. But, but not as many. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, the contention that by giving the Jeff, po Jeff's article points this out a lot better than I can. So again, I, yeah, you know, not, to plug, article, not yeah. to plug my own site, but uh, go ahead and read this article by Jeff because it really covers it all. But, um, you know, the idea that, oh, you're getting in for free to the con and, and you're getting a sandwich and you're getting a T-shirt and that is adequate compensation for this. Um, that don't fly. Yeah. Okay. That because don't fly if you're for profit. If you're for profit. Exactly. Because that implies that there's even more value to this yeah. work that you're doing. So that makes you even more of an employee. Yeah, because if you're saying, okay, well, they are compensated, then, yes. then why are you paying um, uh, Social Security taxes? Yes. Are you being, there's all kinds of employment taxes. Or even, even that if you're, you're having them. to play if. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even if, if as a short-term employee, you're not uh, obligated to, you know, pay Social Security or whatever taxes on them, you still have to pay them. Yeah. Right. Yes. So this is, um, uh, you know, it's a big gray area right now. And also, uh, you know, the Seattle, the Emerald City lawsuit, the Emerald City lawsuit, uh, we don't know where it's going. We don't know what kind of legal standing that has. Um, but there's other lawsuits of this nature. Yes. So and this is a thing filed, that is happening. That was yeah. filed prior to Reed Pop. 
taking over Emerald City, was it? Was. It was. And what's interesting, because it wasn't, I, you know, I don't know, I assumed it was a for-profit show. I believe it, it was. was. And it's interesting because, indeed, Reed Pop used volunteers at one point, and, but professionalized. Yes, all of their employees. Yes, they, for this very reason, they yes. now pay their, volu- their quote, volunteers, yeah. their staff, so their contract. So it remains to be seen whether these workaround situations of creating or partnering with nonprofit social clubs in order to essentially uh, evade the law about uh, uh, exploiting free labor. It remains to be seen whether this will be able to. Well, I, I can tell you this. this. Will continue. I can tell you this. I mean, we know from everything we've been talking about on this podcast for the past five years that convention culture has, you know, soared in uh, the national consciousness, and everybody knows what a comic con is now. And there are a lot of changes coming. I mean, I think the high profile of comic cons have led to things like this. Um, there was another uh, very notorious one of con is crap story that happened just recently on New Year's Eve. It was a show called Marvelous Nerd Year's Eve. Uh, it was um, had the, the big draw with Stan Lee. You would ring in the new year with Stan Lee, uh, which sounds so exciting. They also had a Full array of A-list nerd celebrities, including Nichelle Nichols was there, Michael Rooker was there. They had like 40 uh, nerd celebrities. And they also had a number of science fiction authors. Yes, that's right. I mean, this was a full-on, full-size con. It was a convention. It was a full-size con, first-year con, put on by some people who put on other shows. And uh, they did not draw enough people. Uh, because you don't throw a first year show on New Year's Eve and not promote the Dickens out of it, which they didn't. They did not promote this yeah. show enough. A lot of people, but uh, you know, there was a, the, the hotel. Basically, they didn't make their hotel minimum. So during the show, they had to take all the money <laughs> and pay the hotel. People's hotel room keys got turned they off. They were going to turn off. I, they, I heard they, they were going to turn they, off the, and the, they the did, keys. And they turned uh, off the parking lot so you couldn't get out of the parking lot. So like one of my friends was this there. This is like was Dashcon level it was It was kind of Dashcon stuff. But what's interesting about this show is that the celebrities got stiffed. Appar- well, that is what happened at Dashcon. Yes, that is. Only but, these don't have the excuse of being teenagers. Right, but it's also at Dashcon, no offense to Dashcon, uh, but there was fewer guests and they were a lower level. We're talking the highest caliber. Yeah. Stan Lee, this was top like level the people, talent. Yeah. The people yeah. I just named. And like even Stan Lee, I mean, apparently, did, <laughs> yeah. he got $100,000 up front, but only made like half of the second part. So now I'm seeing, you know, this is something I monitor quite a bit. Uh, I, I, it's now the, the celebrities and their booking agents are getting involved in all as this they should. as they, as they have to, you know, like this con culture has gone so far. So on the one hand, we're seeing volunteers forced to pay to work hard. And now on the other level, we're seeing celebrities not getting paid to show up and sign their autographs. So, you know, we got some stuff going on here. Well, I think the problem is that a lot of wannabe entrepreneurs, some of whom sound more respectable than others, but it all comes down to the same thing, are trying to take the business model of a nonprofit and all those freebies those nonprofits got for nonprofits and still enjoy them. Mm-hmm. Well, well the, you know, the fan-run fan con is the, the fan basis run of con. this. They're trying to take all the things that the fan-run con could do because it was a nonprofit and just use it to make money. Yeah, absolutely. And you just can't transpose a business model like that whole cloth um because it's not fair yeah and it breaks laws for a reason Mm -hmm. yeah so there's a lot there there's a lot more to come but you know there's still good shows there are are many great shows so on the positive side 
where are we here now? We're, well, this this show will go up on uh, Friday, January 13th, which is actually the very first day of uh, this year's Black Comic Book Festival at the Schomburg Research Center in Harlem. Uh, it has really exploded in growth over the last few years. It is held within the library, which is a library museum learning center. Uh, and it's a fabulous building. If you've never been there, you really should go, <clears throat> whether for comic books or not. Uh, a great repository of Afro-Americana. Um, and this show has really, really exploded in growth. Uh, in fact, I went there last year, and I was frankly a little worried. And I, I mean, it was so crowded. Uh, on the good side, it was so packed. The line, as I was told, uh, was endless to get in uh, when it started. I got there at late in the afternoon. It was still so jammed you could barely move it through any of the exhibition halls. There is a show mounted. Um, the show was co-founded, if I'm not mistaken, by John Jennings, who has a uh, an adaptation of Kindred coming out in January from Abrams Comic Arts, and Jerry Craft, a longtime uh, com- black comic strip uh, artist. So get thee to Harlem. Uh, I'll be up there uh, pretty much uh, the most of the day on Saturday myself. Uh, I won't be able to get up on Friday because I got to work. Uh, <laughs> but if you don't have to work, go on up there and there's all kinds of other stuff. There's panel and programming as well. So, um, yeah, the Black Comic Con, uh, excuse me, the Black Comic Book Festival, uh, it's a winner. And there's also, uh, before we get to brief, there's something else that you wanted to talk about along those lines, Kelvin? Go to publishersweekly.com slash comics. Uh, we have a, 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 a very good story. I mean, we've been writing about the, the, uh, the impact of Kickstarter, you know, uh, really for a number of years. But this particular story done by Maurice Boyer for us is really about how African-American creators are, are flocking to Kickstarter and, and basically using it to fund diversity uh, in their self-publishing. So we look at a number of projects, particularly recently, that have been raising eye-popping uh, amounts of money, including Ngozi um, uh, Ukazu. Who's uh, who? We did an interview here on this program. Uh, we sure did. Uh, she does check, please, which yes. is currently on its the end of its quote unquote second year. Yeah, uh, it's been yeah. going on for three years, but the characters in college. Yeah. So, and you know, she went back to uh, to um, Kickstarter for Kickstarter a second for, for volume a second two volume for the four, second year. Nearly four hundred thousand dollars for the <laughs> yeah. second volume. I think she raised seventy thousand. For the first first volume, mm. something along those lines, and uh, she'll be making more money than that at cons oh, too. Yes. I mean, uh, not yeah. even mentioning things yeah. like you know Amazon yeah, and absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. So, so we look at a number of cases there. We look at, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Stefan Mateus, uh, Teflon Funk, who we also did an interview. He raised twenty two thousand dollars to publish his graphic novel, um, uh, uh, Black. Uh, the anthology by Jamal Eagle, uh, Kwanzu. I'm embarrassing. I remember his name. Oh, Seth J. Uh, yeah, Kwan- sorry, Kwanzu. Kwanzu. <laughs> sorry about that. But it's but that has also been picked. That they raised ninety one thousand uh, dollars. A series called Black, um, as if if uh, the scenario is what if only black people had superhero superpowers. Uh, that's been picked up by Black Mass as being serialized through Black Mass or a conventional publisher. So publishersweekly.com slash uh, comics and check out Maurice's story about African American creators on Kickstarter. All right, and now it is time for the briefs. So this time we're going to have a very unusual and different aspect to our briefs. We're going to have the 
comics crime blotter. By which, sadly, we do not mean crimes taking place fictionally in comics. We mean crimes allegedly committed by comics creators. Okay, so Gerard Jones, a, a stalwart of the comics industry, has just been arrested in San Francisco on child pornography charges as part of a larger child pornography sting. And uh, you listeners may say, oh, did he have some manga? But sadly, the charges are not that. No, they involve live human beings. Uh, we'll see if it turns out to be true, but it does look rather bad. Um, but, but that is the least, the least of what people have been accused of uh, in comics this last couple weeks, because um, Jung Hun Park, the editor of Attack on Titan, has been arrested on suspicion of murdering his wife. So that's, um, you know, we, we don't think of comics as a place full of dangerous people, but it's a place full of people, <laughs> and sometimes all yeah, kinds of people are dangerous. People can well, be dangerous. Some of them are more dangerous than others, apparently. Yes. Um, yeah, uh, unfortunate, uh, two unfortunate incidents. Yeah. Um, on a much lighter, lighter note, also in Japan, uh, Hokusai, the famous Japanese artist of two centuries ago, uh, known for his prints, has actually also created in his time an unpub unpublished what is called manga. Now, it's not manga as we know it now, where there's a, a unitary storyline or anything. Um, but the idea was that it was like informal storytelling art. He was born in the 18th century, died in the middle of the 19th century. Of his works have been found in the Boston Museum of Fine Arts. And uh, this book was known as his chicken rib book, <laughs> uh, which was a slang term for a book full of tasty morsels. Mm. Okay. <laughs> and so it has all these beautiful, indeed very manga-like images of things like a uh, Kalavinka, a, a musician with a human face and the hands and bodies of a bird, and many other things like that have been collected into a book, which you can now buy okay. from MFA Publications, called Hokusai's Lost Manga. And so you can really see the connection between this uh, great woodblock print artist who, you know, did the famous Great Wave sure. print um, and manga as we see it today. Cool. So yeah. that's a coffee table book for next Christmas. Definitely. Okay. <laughs> and um, so you can create your very own coffee table book for the Christmas after that. Mark Wade is doing a marathon online seminar. It's going to be a six-hour online uh, masterclass in online in comic script writing and also uh, using examples from his own life and his own work to tell people, you know, how to get their scripts ready for publication, how to get published, and how to make it in the comic industry. Um, that will be coming up uh, a little later this year, in early spring. So... Check it out. And um, we have reached the end of our briefs for today. <laughs> right. 
finally. Yes. Finally. Well, we had to plow through. There was a lot. You know, we said last time there wasn't a lot of news coming through, but uh, there certainly the, the, uh, the New Year is yeah, it's happening. It's come unstopper. With a bang. So right. uh, there will always be more to come, listeners, and tune in next week. Oh, and you know, listen, if you've gotten this far and you like what you've heard, please go to iTunes and rate us and uh, give us a comment or something like that. That definitely helps uh, keep us on iTunes. Yeah. And we value each and every listener because you're all special there to you us go. and <laughs> live in our hearts. There, and you there will definitely be more to come.